How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks slash Raptors slash NBA playoffs slash I don't really know what to call this, um, but we're just going to roll with it. That's okay. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well and I'm excited to have uh, to have some a Raptor brother in arms with us tonight in Sean Woodley. Yeah, hi. how's it going guys? I'm excited here. This is uh, this is the day we've been waiting for. The regular season has run its course. I think it was. Uh, I skipped the game for for the Raptors tonight. I, I decided to not watch Bruno Caboclo put up his career high, and I decided to go watch the Milwaukee Brewers beat the Blue Jays, which I hope is not a sign of things to come come playoff time. <laughs> Wait, so 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 is that the is that only the second time that Bruno has done anything at the NBA level? The first being against the Bucks, I think. What eighteen years ago in his rookie year, he he I think lit up the Bucks for like I don't know like eight points in the fourth quarter or something like that. Am I remembering this correctly? I was at that game and yeah, the Raptors beat the Bucks by like forty three, and Bruno played the entire fourth quarter. There were chants of Bruno coming down the entire game, and he had eight points, which was his career high up until tonight. And yeah, that was like two and a half years ago. So. It's been a while coming for Bruno to have a big night like he had tonight in the final game of the year. The last game always facilitates weird Bucs scores, as I'm sure you guys figured out tonight with the Bucs, too, with uh, whatever lineup you guys threw there against Boston. And it seemed like for a while that Boston was going to throw a wrench into the whole you know one-two seed thing and, and make it possible for Cleveland to get the one if the Raptors would just tank. But uh, thankfully, Boston ended up winning, and the Raptors don't have to worry about what could have been with the with the seating. Yeah, the Bucks were there, um, hanging around, and then uh, I don't even know what the run ended up being for the Celtics at the end. I know it was eighteen unanswered at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm not going to say I paid the most attention to that game because, like you said, strange stuff was going on. Uh, Greg Monroe took two threes tonight. Uh, Michael Beasley had two blocks. Uh, Thom Aker did some cool stuff. Rashad Vaughn did some cool stuff. But yeah, that that was that was a very last game of the season uh, type of game. Uh, you mentioned uh, two and a half years ago the Bucks losing to the Raptors by forty. Sean, um, that's been par for the course in in Bucks Raptors. The Bucks have lost thirteen of fifteen to the Raptors, stretched across what would that be three three and a half years. So. I guess kind of what I have to ask is, are any Raptors fans, are any Raptors all that concerned about this series? Here's the thing that happens with Raptors fans is that they will talk themselves into any team beating them in the first round because of what's happened in the past where they've struggled. And, you know, they had the series against Brooklyn, which, I mean, they weren't really expected to win and obviously lost that one in seven. Uh, That was in 2014, 2015. They got swept by the Wizards. And I think people still have some PTSD from that. And then 
the series last year against the Pacers, I mean, the Raptors were such obvious favorites. They won 56 games, and they just looked dead for big parts of that series. It came down to Frank Vogel deciding to not play his his stars in the fourth quarter of Game 5 of that series, uh, facilitated a Raptors comeback, and then uh, Solomon Hill having long fingers in that game, too, where the, he almost hit a three to send it to overtime, but because the, the ball was still on the tip of his finger, got called back, and like that turned the series. Like Had the Raptors lost Game 5, they would have probably lost the series in six, just the way things were trending. And so I think people are really uneasy about the first round, no matter who they come across. And, you know, I don't think that's any different with how people have been talking about the Bucks. I mean, if you look at all the teams that were there as potential first round matchups for the Raptors, I think the Bucks were the scariest. And if they were for me, too, I think, just looking at the sort of quality of the teams that were down there with, you know, the, the Bucks and the Hawks and the Bulls and the Heat and those teams. Uh, I do think the Bucks are probably the scariest matchup. And maybe it's some recency bias considering what they did uh, with Kyle Lowry out of the lineup a couple months ago when they, they really shut down DeMar DeRozan. It was one of DeRozan's worst games of the season. The Raptors lost pretty handy. Um, so yeah, I think people are talking themselves into the Bucks being a really scary team. I, I while I respect the Bucks and while I, I think Giannis has a lot of potential to do very much the same thing that Paul George did last year, where he almost single-handedly won the series. I just kind of think the Raptors are a better team than they were last year. I think the trades of the deadline with Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker really helped out and have really you know helped them forge a new identity as a really good defensive team. And I just I don't really have the same fear that I think a lot of Raptors fans probably have about this series. Um, but my question to you is kind of similar. I mean, what's the kind of vibe around Bucks fans about this series? Because I kind of get the sense from just like reading some Bucks blogs and listening to your guys' podcasts and some other Bucks podcasts around there. Um, it just seems like people kind of view the Raptors in Milwaukee the way like Raptors fans would view like the Chicago Bulls because the Bulls have had the Raptors number for like four years. Um, is there anything to that? Is, it, is this a matchup that you guys were kind of hoping to avoid? I would say so. I mean, we're, I guess, kind of biased because we just hear each other probably more than, you know, any other Bucks fans. And, and I think the two of us had um, had talked ourselves into not really looking forward to, to the Raptors <laughs> of the matchup. Um, I think the Wizards, certainly just because I don't think the Wizards are a great team. I don't think they have, you know, somehow threat challenging the Cavs in the East type potential whereas i think the raptors do have that potential i think the celtics do have that potential um and we did recently see the bucks um beat the celtics um at full strength uh in in uh, boston so i think there was at least a little bit maybe more optimism that that there could be maybe some potential matchup stuff there so um toronto is definitely interesting though because as eric mentioned as you're well aware um you know there is this sort of long stretch now of the raptors playing very well against the bucks um but i don't know it's, it's really interesting because we really haven't seen the current versions of these two teams ever really play, right? As you were alluding to, Kyle Lowry missed the last time these team, these two teams played. That was post-trade. So um, that was, you know, the the P.J. Tucker, Serge Ibaka version of the Raptors, but obviously didn't have Kyle Lowry, who I would say is Toronto's best player, or at least the player that scares me the most as a Bucks fan. Um, mm-hmm. And the Bucks did have Chris Middleton back, so that's the first time this season um, in the four games that that the Raptors saw Chris Middleton and no Jabari Parker. So um, that that's definitely sort of changed sort of the complexion of, of I think, both teams. And um, before I guess I kick it to you, because I think a lot of Bucks fans probably want to know, you know, how have the Raptors changed? I, I'll say this for, for the benefit of, of, of Raptors fans. You know, when you look at the way the Bucks have changed, I think a lot of the narrative since Middleton came back and they had 
this big run in March. I think they were 14 and four. You know, a lot of it was, oh, their defense is now better, and you know, they're they now have the sitting influence. And you kind of look at the data, and they're slightly better defensively, but they've generally been still below average defensively since Middleton came back. They play a lot slower, which kind of makes sense because Chris Middleton and Greg Monroe are two of your best three offensive players. Um, And Chris, obviously, compared to Jabari Parker, is nowhere near sort of the open court type threat. Um, And so it's been kind of interesting because, I mean, they've really gotten by on being much better late in games than they were before early in the season. I think they were massively underachieving sort of in crunch time Um, with Malcolm Brogdon and Middleton now as part of the regular crunch time lineup. Um, they've been much better, and you can argue, okay, maybe they've gotten a lot luckier as well, winning some of these close games. Um, but I think there is something to you know them being better late in games with those guys on the court versus you know early in the season, Delhi and Jabari being guys who are, who are pretty good on the court. So I, I don't know if the Bucks are a vastly different team, despite the fact that their record improved a lot after the All Star break. Um, but I think at least on paper, I think from a playoff perspective, you think of like you know potentially having to play more of a grinded out game needing kind of more of a steady kind of veteran presence. I think Middleton kind of brings some of that. And um, he's just very definitely obviously a high skill player. So um, it's, I think a couple weeks ago, we were hoping the Bucks were peaking at the right time. It didn't exactly peak over the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, but I don't know. I mean, from a Raptor perspective, you know, what should Bucks fans know? Because uh, for sure, this is a different looking team than, you know, the last time um, we saw them in Toronto when, I don't know. I, I feel like my, my image of the Raptors is Terrence Ross burying, you know, corner threes on, on the Bucks <laughs> all day long. And um, he's gone, but obviously they've got a couple of uh, very useful guys uh, in his in his place. And they're certainly a, probably a tougher, more defensive minded team than they were, uh, you know, early in the season when the Bucks faced them. Yeah, they've totally kind of altered their identity. Earlier in the season, before the trades, I mean, they were really struggling kind of before the the All-Star break. Patrick Patterson's injury, where he was out for most of January, kind of coincided with that. And that was kind of indicative of what the Raptors were before the trades, and that Patrick Patterson was like the third most important player on the team. And without him, they were kind of lost. And if you're relying so much on, you know, Patrick Patterson, that's not going to be a good thing. But then the trades happened. Um, and Ibaka has come in and just the upgrade that he's provided. And I mean, maybe he's not the player he was in Oklahoma City. Um, and he's had some rough games of late. I think he's like, he, he rested the last game of the season. I think that's probably a good thing. He's looked a little tired, of course. But um, I think for the most part, Ibaka has just been such a nice upgrade on what the Raptors were rolling out at the four, which was a combination of Patrick Patterson and Pascal Siakam. And, you know, they played Lucas Noguera at, at power forward a lot. And he is very much a pure center. Um, so for them to, you know, get PJ Tucker and Serge Ibaka into the mix, I mean, it just really sort of transformed the defense. And you kind of saw it from the very first game out of the out of the gate, you know, at the All Star break, uh, out of the All Star break. I mean, it was the first game uh, came against Boston, and the the defense looked amazing, and PJ Tucker looked perfect as you know, uh, both as a as a wing defender and as a small ball four. And he's been really nice as a small ball four for the Raptors in a whole lot of different facets. He's been hitting a bunch of corner threes. He's almost forty percent on corner threes so far uh, in his time with the Raptors, which is higher than his career average. So Mike come back down but it's been nice to see um and he's done a really nice job rebounding too and it's really helped the raptors sort of navigate those smaller lineups where in the past they've had some issues rebounding when they've had damari carroll at the four for example um so just everything's kind of been lifted up and the switching they've been able to do has been you know really noticeable and impressive um and, and pj tucker's talked about it a lot he really seems to like playing with damari carroll and serge Ibaka as sort of that three four five uh, because they can kind of switch everything and i think that's going to be very handy against the bucks team that 
uh, just kind of has a lot of dudes who can handle the ball and do stuff with it. Um, and I think that's going to be crucial. And as, just to sort of go to what the data has been since uh, the All-Star break, the Raptors are the third best defense in the league since the All-Star break. They were kind of floating around, um, you know, 15th to 20th before the All-Star break and before the trades. And since then, uh, you know, Tucker and Ibaka have really sort of enhanced it. And it's kind of slipped a little bit without Ky- with Kyle Lowry back in the lineup. I think Lowry's a bit slow right now on defense, uh, still sort of looking to you know get his lateral quickness back. Um, his shooting has been fine, and he looks, you know, totally okay on the offensive end, which is really encouraging for Raptors fans. But I think overall, the defense, you know, with Lowry at full, full, full bore, is going to be even better than it's been uh, with Kyle, with, with Corey Joseph leading the sort of defensive charge there, because Joseph has been up and down defensively this year. So I think this team has really sort of changed themselves. They finished the season, I think, eighth in defensive efficiency, which I just don't think many people expected they would have seen uh, midway through the year. And it's uh, it's been better than expected, I think, with Ibaka and Tucker. So uh, the defense has, has totally transformed this team, and I think that's the kind of identity of it. I mean, the offense carried the team early in the year where they were, you know, for a long time flirting with the best offense offense in the league one of the best offenses in history uh that's come down back to earth a little bit they're still an above average offense they're sort of a top 10 offense i think they finished like fifth and eighth in offense and defense uh which is they were one of three teams and the only team in the eastern conference that finished top 10 in both offense and defense which is always a positive sign um but yeah the defense i think is this team this, this team's new identity and uh, i think that's going to help sort of stem some of the issues they've had in the playoffs in the past um, but I, I guess you, you mentioned Chris Middleton, Frank, and I guess I get to this to you, Eric. And, and with Middleton, yeah, you mentioned how the defense hasn't gotten all that much better. But it seems like he's been just a, a really nice sort of replacement for what Jabari Parker was doing. And, and maybe even just like if it's just a like for like replacement, I think there's probably an upgrade with Middleton there. Obviously, he plays a different position. What's he kind of excelled at since he came back? Is it just having his shooting on the floor that's an extra sort of boost to this team? Um, has his defense sort of upgraded things? How has Middleton helped the Bucks since he came back to help him to this nice record? They've- I think the biggest thing, like Frank mentioned, is now in clutch time, the Bucks aren't unsure of what they're doing because at the start of the season, it would be, okay, who's going to take this possession? And Giannis doesn't have a jumper late in games, so it's always tough to give him a possession. So who do we go to and how are we going to work late game possessions? And now it's pretty much, all right, well, we're going to we're gonna use a side pick and roll and whoever gets the post up between Giannis or Chris, that's what we're going to roll with. And that's going to be our clutch time option. And they won a bunch of very close games and it was something they had struggled with. So um, as far as Middleton's biggest impact, I think you see it most in those close games and kind of having the ability to close them out and win those games. Uh, to me, that's probably the biggest thing. But in, at, at a larger uh, at a larger look, you take a look at Middleton going in for Parker. And with Middleton, you have a guy who is solid offensively. He's not going to be quite the explosive scorer that Jabari Parker is, but he also happens to be a very good defender. And Jabari Parker is not. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, a, it's as simple as that at this point in his career. He's just not a good defender. So taking an active minus off the floor defensively and adding in a plus, I think that helps out a lot. Like Frank said, the, the defense hasn't gotten all that much better, um, but I would say at their peak, this defense has gotten a lot better, if that makes any sense, that when the defense is actually rolling, I think it it can be um, 
it, it can be tough to deal with and they can switch so much. Um, and also, I think the big thing here is as well that the Bucks have kind of, I don't even know how you want to say it, if it's downshifted or upshifted, um, but when Middleton came back, I think a lot of us thought, okay, Middleton has played shooting guard in the past. He'll come in for Tony Snell. Uh, Tony Snell will start to come off the bench, and the Bucks will roll with the lineup of point guard, whether that's Delhi or Brogdon. So point guard, Middleton, Giannis, someone at the four, whether that's Beasley or Toledovich, and then a center, and they haven't done that. They've shifted Giannis up to the four, gone with Middleton at the three, Snell at the two, and then Brogdon at the point guard position. And when you do that, I think that helps take it. That helps the Bucks take advantage of and leverage all of the things that Giannis does so well. Because all of a sudden you have a four who's handling the ball and doing those things, but he's also doing it with three other shooters on the floor and Middleton, Snell, and Brogdon or Delhi. And when you can do that, and then in the starting lineup for the first five minutes of the game and the first five minutes of the second half, you do that with Thon Maker, all of a sudden you have Giannis handling the ball with four shooters on the floor. And all of a sudden your offense is a lot more dangerous and you make the defense make some very serious decisions. Are you going to help on Giannis driving to the basket or are you going to let your guy try to handle him in one-on-one coverage and roll the dice there? So uh, I think that's what's made... That's what's kind of made the biggest difference. And defensively, like Frank said, there's not a huge improvement. But for a while, this Bucks offense was was scoring more efficiently than they had been, and had been uh, I think flirting with seven or eight in offense efficiency for a little bit when they were really rolling in that fourteen and four March. Um, when they were really rolling, they they were really uh, efficient offensively. They've dropped down since then, but. When they were really going, I think that was kind of the biggest impact that Chris Middleton had. Yeah, I, I was just going to jump in and say on on Middleton, I think what Eric was saying, kind of about um, you know the defense maybe in aggregate hasn't been really shown much improvement, but the ceiling I think that Eric was alluding to is higher. And I think you look at the kind of the most you know sort of prevalent lineups we've seen since the All Star break from the Bucks, basically the the starting five of um, of Brogdon, Giannis, Maker, Tony Snell. And Middleton, that group has been plus 12 points per 100, allowing under a defensive rating of just shy of 100, which is great for this Bucks team in particular. And then if you swap in Delhi uh, in the games that Brogdon has missed, they're 108 offensive rating and 94.4 defensive rating. So, um, you know, even with Brogdon, I think has added a lot to, you know, crunch time as well. I mean, he's, you know, in the, the game they won in Boston, he was the guy basically making all the plays late in that game, which maybe isn't normally what you'd expect to see but he's able to do that um and make plays and, and get to the rim and, and make shots which which is obviously a huge plus compared to Delhi, who is pretty much just relying on a floater um but yeah i think i think their defensive ceiling is definitely higher and i think in crunch time you know whereas previously they would have to sort of try to hide jabari and and he typically defended threes and but but you know as as, as eric was saying he's not really a, a true three offensively um, and I think defensively, you know, Giannis has been playing four for quite some time. Um, but offensively, having him out there with as many shooters as possible, and when you've got Thon Maker out there, who maybe isn't a, a force down low by any stretch, you know, he can step out and hit some threes. He did that in Toronto earlier this year as well. Um, I think it does sort of give the Bucks different dimensions, both offensively and defensively. And um, certainly, lots of hand wringing uh, all season around Jason Kidd's rotations and the randomness of them. I think it'll be interesting to see if you know, he kind of maybe cuts down his rotations a little bit 
goes to some of those more effective lineups? And, um, you know, is that something that maybe gives the Bucks a better chance at, uh, at competing at a high level against the Raptors? I think it'll be interesting to see. So anyway, just wanted to yeah. butt in there and, and add that. Sorry, you can just jump in. Um, you mentioned that lineup with Giannis at the four and, and sort of the defensive ceiling of that lineup with Thon Maker as the, as the starting center. And I think we kind of saw what that ceiling is in that game against the Raptors where they didn't have Kyle Lowry the start of March and how well they shut down DeRozan. I mean, DeRozan in that game was just 11 points, 5 of 13 shooting, um, and he had a lot of trouble with the traps that the Bucks were throwing at him. He had three turnovers, which is pretty uncharacteristic for, uncharacteristic for him this year. He's been really good at taking care of the ball and sort of navigating those traps. And DeRozan has kind of talked about the Bucks and how Eric Hughes, one of the assistants on the Bucks staff, uh, used to be with the Raptors in sort of DeRozan's formative days. Uh, he said that Hughes kind of has a knack for knowing how to shut down DeRozan and how to attack him with traps. And I think because of that lineup that you mentioned in particular, just sort of the length that is out there, I think that is probably the thing that scares me the most about this series is, you know, A, just having those guys, you know, if you have a you know Middleton and, and Giannis combining for a trap, like that's a lot of arms to navigate out of. And then also, just if they decide to be more conservative and just switch everything, I mean, the Raptors love to run pick and roll with DeRozan or Lowry and just try and they try to get switches on their guards. Um, but if they're not getting those switches and they're not getting penetration, that kind of, you know, cuts off the Raptors' offense at its head. And, you know, DeRozan and Lowry have done a really good job, DeRozan in particular, this season of kind of becoming matchup proof. Um, you know, that game against the Bucks was one of the few games this year where DeRozan really had issues with what the defense was throwing at him. He's mostly been uh, able to kind of get through anything that defense have put thrown his way. Uh, but that's something that definitely stands out to me is something that could sort of tilt things towards the Bucks in this series. Um, and while I still think the Raptors, you know, having both DeRozan and Lowry is going to be a huge advantage for them because if one guy's being sort of, uh, you know, the focus of the defense, the other guy can kind of go to work. And that's kind of how those two have worked in concert over the last couple of years now. Um, so having those two playmakers is obviously a huge advantage. But if there's one way that I think the Bucks are going to hurt the Raptors, it's with that sort of super switchy, long defensive lineup. Um, but yeah, Eric, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, it's all good. Um, it was just funny. Thinking back to that, too, I, I had tweeted out uh, an article that had referenced those comments from DeRozan uh, earlier today. And since the Bucks got that matchup, really all I could think about was that night sitting in the Bradley Center after the, that Bucks raptors game, getting the quote sheet and seeing all of the things DeRozan said. Because the, I, I don't get to watch DeRozan every night. I think, okay, you know, he had a bad game. And, you know, sometimes you have bad games. And if you're trying to figure out what's going on with your team and uh, you just lost Kyle Lowry in the last couple weeks, like, that can happen. But when he said all those things like, oh, Eric Hughes knows me. And I played this series against Jason Kidd a couple years ago. And they've really figured out a way to get to me with traps. Like, it, it was just such, to me, it was just such a strange thing to hear a guy of, of DeMar DeRozan's I guess, kind of caliber to say, like, you, you don't often hear star players mention how uh, an opposing team really got to them or uh, specific, pointing out specific coaching strategies. It, it, to me, that that just stuck out into my, like, out in my mind that night because you just don't hear that. And uh, I, it kind of took me aback. Did it do anything like that for you? Were you kind of shocked to hear DeRozan actually say that after the game? Yeah, I guess a little bit. I mean, you don't want to hear guys sort of like acknowledging that something worked against him because as he even mentioned, he kind of was worried that it might become a blueprint against him. But 
I mean, in fairness, if any team did try to use what the Bucks did as a blueprint, it didn't really work because DeRozan was on a tear down the stretch uh, where he was kind of doing what he did at the start of the year, where he was just scoring 30 or 40 every single night and no one could stop him. And when teams really did sell out to throw traps his way, he was really moving the ball along well. I think he had one game, I think against Detroit last week, where he just couldn't really get anything going. His shot wasn't falling. Detroit was being super aggressive. Detroit's a team like Milwaukee where they can be super switchy and kind of shut everything down at the point of attack. Uh, but DeRozan was working out of that. He had 10 assists in that game, like kind of quietly, and then he came in in crunch time, and he ended up hitting three big buckets late to, to put the Raptors ahead and seal that game. Um, so I, I just think, you know, even while teams have been able to, you know, throw, they've been, you know, had the opportunity to focus on DeRozan lately uh, with Lowry out, I think I take a lot of solace in the fact that he has worked through it a lot. And I think you look at the playoffs last year and he had some struggles. I think his struggles in the playoffs are a bit overblown. Uh, both him and Lowry had some on and off games here and there, but overall, I think they were both pretty effective for the Raptors. Um, but you just haven't seen those games this year from DeRozan where he's gone, you know, seven of 24 or, or, you know, and just had a really bad shooting line. He's mostly been able to, you know, understand if he has a night where he's not shooting well, he's just going to facilitate more. And that's kind of been the way he's done it. Um, so I think that if I'm looking at, you know, reasons why I'm optimistic that DeRozan kind of, you know, succeed in the playoffs this time, especially against the Bucks team that might have some matchup issues in, in store for him, I think just sort of the body of work of this season has kind of given me a little bit of hope. Um, I, I guess going the other way, you know, we talked about how you can guard DeRozan. Giannis is obviously a, a beast and he's really hard to stop and he had some really nice games against the Raptors this year. Frank, I guess I can throw it to you. Um, if you were an opposing coaching staff trying to scheme to defend Giannis, like how would you approach the task? And for people who don't watch the Bucks all that often, you know, how do the the Bucks kind of use him in their offense? Is he kind of uh, you know running things at the point and kind of being that facilitator for everything on offense? Like how would you go about stopping what Giannis does for the Bucks offense? Yeah, I think the big thing for the Bucks is is variety with Giannis. Um, you know, they they do have him bring the ball up and, and initiate offense a fair bit, but he's definitely not used like a you know high pick and roll point guard type guy, right? I mean, he's he's not a guy because of his inability to kind of stretch the defense consistently as a shooter. Um, he's not a guy that that is necessarily easy to to run those types of of high pick and rolls with, just because um, I, you know I think teams teams that sort of hedge hard and then recover, um, I think generally fare pretty well against him in pick and roll. Um, I mean, he's probably used even more as, as a screener in pick and roll. Um, and he's gotten definitely better as a role man, not necessarily, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, the Bucks have Nash and Stoudemire exactly, but, um, but when he is able to kind of work himself free and, um, especially, you know, Delhi is a guy that, that he's a good passer, I think in pick and roll, but teams just so often just dare him to shoot that, um, that kind of limits him maybe a little bit and makes it maybe a little bit less effective. But, um, you know, expect to see Giannis kind of used in, in multiple ways. He'll be bringing the ball up. You know, they, they'll have him bring the ball up and just look for guys coming off, you know, screens on the wings. Um, they'll have him, um, you know, as the screener in pick and roll. Uh, they'll have him catching at the elbows. Um, and so certainly, you know, the, to the extent that you can, you know, uproot him from getting to his spot, you know, and, and whether that's, you know, Serge Ibaka, whether that's Damari Carroll, Carroll, whether that's PJ Tucker, um, you know, that the I think the main thing is just you know don't let him get you know those good elbow positions. Um, if he's got the ball in pick and roll, I think sending you know multiple bodies at him is is a good thing to do. I mean, you know, talking about what what the Bucks maybe had some success against DeRozan with, I think some of the same things hold with Giannis. Um, you know, he's a good passer and he can obviously throw over the top of the defense pretty well given his size. Um, but we haven't seen teams really aggressively sort of throw 
double teams at him necessarily that much. Um, it was interesting in the last game he played against the Hornets, they actually seemed very make, make a very concerted effort to kind of get the ball out of his hands. And he only scored 10 points, but he had a triple-double with 11 rebounds and 10 assists. Um, so that was kind of interesting to see um, them maybe throw him off a little bit. And so I'd certainly be curious to see, you know, did the Raptors try to do anything like that? Um, do they just try to kind of, you know, put put one guy on him? They obviously have multiple guys who on paper can can match up reasonably well with him. Um, I thought Siakam actually did a, a pretty nice job in some of the games early in the season, but um, you know, looks like I guess he's pretty much out of the lineup. It seems more or less. He's but good elite team, I think. Yeah. Even, yeah so <laughs> he'll, he'll be with hanging out with Jerry Stackhouse, I guess. But um, but yeah, I mean, and then that's kind of the embarrassment of riches, I guess, in terms of you know having kind of some versatile, bigger bodies and, and wings who can go at Giannis. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, Eric, I'll toss it to you. Um, who who is your if if you're Dwayne Casey? Um, I feel like we'll probably see Ibaka defend him most uh, to start games, I'm guessing. But um, I don't know. I mean, would you be tempted to try to get P.J. Tucker on him late in games? What's sort of your view of of how you'd try to defend Giannis if you're um, the Toronto Raptors? I think Tucker's probably the guy um, for me. Just because uh, Ibaka, it's obviously a, a pretty good matchup. But I feel like with as much as the Bucks love running... Uh, whatever you want to call it, four-one pick and rolls, where it's either Delhi or Brogdon setting that screen for Ibaka, or setting that screen on Ibaka, excuse me, and trying to get Giannis going to the hoop. And really, most of the time, it's just okay. Let's try to get Giannis into the post. Hope they screw up their switch, and then that point guard can take advantage. And when it's Brogdon, that means going to the rack. When it's Delhi, that means he's probably just going to flare for a three. Um, when it's PJ Tucker, I don't know if. If the Bucks go to that as much, and it's just something I think the Bucks have gotten good at over over the years, and I think Delhi does a nice job setting screens despite maybe some of his other inefficiencies, um, and I think Brogdon does a nice job when he catches in those situations, and I just feel like with Ibaka, it's going to be an endless uh, kind of just run of those four-one pick and rolls, and I just don't know if that's something the Raptors really want. Giannis to get into and Tucker just always seems to do such a nice job he's so strong and I know that would mean Giannis probably in the post a a lot but really if it's Tucker getting to be handsy playoff officials like that that might be the best way for the Raptors to go about it yeah Yeah. I think I, I, I would add to that too um you know Giannis so often is is even though he's getting the rim he's attacking from you know the perimeter um and so I think a lot of times when putting a bigger guy on him, even though Serge Ibaka moves really well for, for his size, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, that having a, a smaller guy on Giannis can can still oftentimes be more effective, um, especially if it's a stout guy who isn't going to you know be bullied in the post. And obviously Tucker is, is a pretty stout guy. Um, so I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I think the one area where Giannis has shown flashes, but maybe hasn't really kind of unlocked his full potential. People talk a lot about his jump shot for obvious reasons, but, um, you know, I always say if he can just get confident and look for just like a little 10 foot, like baby hook shot or push shot, um, when he gets into the paint, I mean, nobody's blocking that shot at his size, but it's still not a shot that he seems really comfortable with. And I think, um, until he sort of really kind of gets used to just being able to use that size and length against smaller players, which he started to do for sure. Um, but until he, that's really a weapon in half court, um, I, I feel like I might be more tempted to put smaller guys on him. Um, I think we've seen kind of some random types of guys have some defensive success on them. Probably the most random one being Dion Waiters, who's 
you know, <laughs> tiny, relatively speaking, but but strong. He's a Giannis um, killer. I don't know why. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But um, but yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see. But certainly the Raptors um, don't have a, a lack of bodies they can throw at Giannis. And I think in general, just, you know, being able to kind of rotate and, and play team defense against him. So, you know, if he, you know, he can obviously often get by his first man. And he's got so much length and his strides are so long. I think the main thing is just, you know, having that second and third guy that you can wall off and, and forcing Giannis to be a guy who then is, is a distributor, which he can do. But again, you know, the Bucks historically have not been a team that obviously is going to totally light you up from three point range. I think they're getting more dangerous there, especially with Middleton replacing Jabari and kind of becoming more of a, a space team around Giannis. But, um, you know, certainly if I'm an opponent of the Raptors, I wouldn't mind trying to throw some more bodies against Giannis and just, you know, seeing if the Bucks can can find the open man and hit that shot. Yeah, and if I could just sort of add to that, I mean, I think you can probably draw a lot of hints from what the Raptors might try to do against Giannis by looking at last year's conference finals because uh, the Raptors were experimental with how they tried to approach LeBron James. And I think it's going to be super... Uh, experimental and sort of touch and go for Casey in this series as well. Um, I think you'll probably see like Damari Carroll, Serge Ibaka get the first shot at Giannis, but I do think that'll probably run its course pretty quickly. Um, I think the best guys in this series might be the guys off the bench for the Raptors and Patrick Patterson and PJ Tucker. Um, you know, you, I, you mentioned Tucker and his handsy defense and how strong he is, and I mentioned you know earlier how good he's been at the four this year. I think the Raptors might be able to get away with playing him at the four and having him just sort of be the straight-up guard for Giannis. Um, and then it gets into who do you want to have next to him? Is it Jonas Valanciunas? Is it, is it Serge Ibaka at the five? Um, you know, with Ibaka at the five, that's been a super effective lineup. We haven't really seen much of Tucker at the four with Valanciunas at the five. Um, and, and the thing about Valanciunas in this series is that, you know, he's got a, a really good opportunity to shine here because I don't think the Bucks have, you know, the kind of you know, stretchy centers that usually give him a lot of problems defensively and sort of play him off the floor. You know, Greg Monroe, I think, is very much kind of like him and it's going to keep him close to the basket. And I think because of the Bucks' rebounding issues, they've been one of the worst rebounding teams in the league this year. I think Jonas has a real chance to sort of excel in this series as well. So the front court iterations, I think, are the thing I'm looking at most for how Casey's going to approach this because. I think just in terms of pure speed and physicality, I think Tucker and Patterson are probably the two guys that you'd focus in most on as guys who might be sort of custom built to stop Giannis. Um, and the Ibaka Valanciunas front court might be a little bit slow footed for that. So I'm not quite sure. I also think Kyle Lowry is going to factor in defensively in this series too, in terms of how they stop Giannis. If they decide to, you know, like what happened last year in the playoff series against the Cavs was they originally tried to just go one on one and just kind of, you know, leave him, leave LeBron and just let him do his thing and, you know, dare him to score 60. And it was essentially just a parade to the rim for LeBron. And it, it got super easy, and they eventually started to alter their coverages and throw double teams his way a little bit more often. And I think what you could see in this game, if you get the chance, watch a game that the Raptors played in November against the Houston Rockets. Um, Kyle Lowry played you know, up against Pat Patrick Beverly a lot of that night. And he was kind of used as a bit of a free safety in that game, where he'd kind of just leave Beverly at times to come and help stop James Harden. And I think we might see that in this series if he's up against Malcolm Brogdon or Matthew Dellavedova. I think we could see Lowry as sort of that go-to help defender. He's really sort of savvy trying to poke balls free for steals, especially if Giannis is sort of in the post um, or if he's coming around screens. I think you know Lowry can be that guy who can kind of roam a little bit and be that help defender that comes in and, and kind of try to you know force steals or, or force uh, you know. Passes to other guys on the floor, and he's quick enough that he can get back to his original man and kind of not, you know, compromise the defense that way. So that's something to look at too. I think it's going to be a lot of stuff going on for the Raptors in this series. It's going to be. I think it might take a few games for them to figure out exactly how they want to approach Giannis, and that's going to be tough because a guy like Giannis's skill set at the four 
is really tough to handle, and the Raptors aren't exactly perfectly set up to, to just throw a guy on him. It's not like they have Draymond Green where they can just say, all right, you, you take him now. Um, so it's going to be tough. Um, we've gone a little while here, though, so do you guys want to get some predictions in for the series? Oh, I want to know one thing before I make a prediction, though. Yeah. <laughs> How healthy is Kyle Lowry? I think he's above 90%. He came back... Uh, that was not um, what I wanted to hear. Can you change the yeah. answer? <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, he came back, his first game back uh, after he missed five five weeks in a day uh, after he got surgery done with those loose bodies in his wrist. He, you know, he was like two of five from three. He was, I think, five of 11 from the field. He had like 27 points, or like 10 of, I don't know, 10 of 17 from the field or something like that. He had like 27 points. He was ridiculous. He was seven of seven from the line, uh, 10 assists. Like he looked every bit like Kyle Lowry in his first game back. Struggled a little bit on the Friday game last week against the the Heat where he was like one of five from the line. So if you want to draw some optimism, that's the game to look at. But since then, I haven't checked the box score from tonight's game against Cleveland. But overall, I think he was four of nine from three against the Knicks on Sunday. He very much looks like regular Kyle Lowry on offense. His defense, like I mentioned earlier, is still coming a little bit. He still looks a little bit step slow as he's trying to get back into up, up with the game speed. But I do think Lowry looks a little bit better than I would have expected. Uh, I expected it might take a round or so for him to get back into form, but so far so good. And I think last year even, you look, he wasn't shooting very well in the first round last year. He had a bit of an elbow thing going on. Um, he sort of hit it in the game in the regular season, and he had bursitis develop in it and never really healed. And he wasn't shooting well, but still, even with Lowry on the floor, the Raptors were far better than when he sat. So I think even Lowry at like 75 or 80% is just a significant upgrade on what the Raptors had a point guard filling in for him, you know, as good as Corey Joseph played. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's probably close to 100%. It might take a game or two more for him to get back there on defense. But, uh, yeah, Kyle Lowry is uh, really good, and he's shown it for the last couple of games here. All right, I can make it a prediction then. Um, <laughs> le- I was really hoping for better news than that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me go. I, I think... I think the Bucks can get one for sure. The big thing for me is trying to figure out if they can get two. Um, I'm going to count on some Giannis craziness and say Raptors in six. Frank, what do you got? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I think I was sort of hedging between one and two games for the Bucks, um, And I was going to say, if, if you were going to say one game, I was going to say two. So I'll, I'll, I'll play the pessimist. Um, and, and so locked on Bucks is game. a solid one and a half. Yeah, locked on Bucks. <laughs> locked on uh pessimism here um with uh with with raptors and five um but yeah i think it's gonna be really interesting because i mean it's been so hard to kind of figure out where this what this bucks team really is of late and you know the good news is they had the slide later in the season but that was without malcolm brogdon and he did get through tonight's game in boston without any incident said he felt no pain and he dunked on somebody and he dunked on somebody he dunked on right over isaiah thomas which maybe is the easiest guy in the world to dunk on if you're an (laughs) nba player but um but yeah i I think he's going to be crucial i think pretty much you know the the all the usual suspects of the you know the starters and i I don't know i mean i just think the margin of error isn't isn't large and and certainly guys like brogdon and middleton and monroe um it's going to be crucial that they play well and, and obviously you know you expect Giannis to be to be very good and and hopefully he can have you know one or two games at least where he's um off the charts because i think against a raptors team that that is up their game and has really especially improved defensively and now is larry back um you know on some level you're just sort of hoping that uh some of the ghosts of playoff pass maybe catch up with them a little bit and uh they maybe have another slow start which it it seems like like the, the raptors have been prone to slow playoff starts and um I don't know. Like I, like I was saying, uh, calling a couple of people, the Bucks have been 
generally really bad when they've had a bunch of days off. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I feel like they, they need to try to exploit the Raptors' weakness in, in first games of series. But then again, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just lost by 25 in game one. I believe the Raptors are 1-9 all-time in game ones of series. Um, so that's something to hang your hat on. Although... Uh, as it just came out, the game one of this series is going to be at 5.30 on ESPN, 5.30 Eastern time uh, on ESPN. And the Raptors normally get that 12.30 slot, and that's you know what some people like to blame on the Raptors' poor starts in series. I think that's silly, but um, you know maybe the 5.30 starts a bit of a mental boost for the Raptors. Um, I just think I might be a little optimistic. I think I usually tend to be on the more optimistic side when it comes to most Raptors bloggers and fans, but um, I think... Just, I think the Raptors are a better team than they were last year. I think this is a different sort of beast come playoff time. I think their eight-man rotation is as deep as anybody's in the entire Eastern Conference, maybe in the NBA. Like they're they're just really deep, one to eight. Uh, like Damari Carroll might be the eighth guy in the rotation right now, and like he's not shooting super well. You he, he's you know had some issues on that end, but his defense has been a lot better of late. And I, I just think the Raptors have a lot of versatility, a lot of different looks they can go to. And I I while I totally respect Giannis, and it could very very well go horribly for the Raptors and Giannis could have his playoff moment I think he's maybe just shy of where Paul George was last year where he kind of almost single-handedly won the series for the Pacers in round one and I think the Raptors are just better than they were last year so I'm going to say Raptors in five I think Giannis will have a game where he just wins it on his own and he might make it really close in a couple others Um, and and just so you know I I picked Raptors in five against the Pacers last year too so um, this could be a lot closer than I'm giving the Bucks credit for but I'll take Raptors in five for now I'll take the little bit of optimism you're trying to be (laughs) kind and give it give to us i'll take that pity i'm okay with that um i i, I think that's gonna be it for us uh sean great talking to you meeting you etc uh where can people find all of the things you write say tweet etc on the internet for during this series i don't know why you'd want to read my tweets but you can go to at woodley sean to find me there uh, i write for raptorshq.com which is sb nation's uh raptors site uh, shout out to Brew Hoop, um, and then uh, I, I host Locked On Raptors. So yeah, you can just follow the show there, find it on iTunes, all that fun stuff. And uh, you guys as well. Where can people check out your stuff? You can find me at Locked On Bucks. Uh, obviously, Frank there as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Eric underscore name e r i c underscore n e h m, and you can find my writing at espnmilwaukee.com. Um, Frank. What I'll I always forget your Twitter handle. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's the super lame app at F Madden NBA. Um, and of course I'm I'm now retired from from brew hooping. But um, shout out to to Adam Paris and Mitchell and uh, the whole crew that that still writes at Brew Hoop. Um, they're doing a great job. And uh, always glad, Sean, that we can we can keep it sort of amongst the uh, SB Nation, you know, alumni slash current writers. So um, glad to see the Locked On Network uh, carrying carrying the torch for. Uh, for us SB Nation folks. So, um, so yeah, thanks to everybody for, for listening. And um, I feel like this has been a, a very polite podcast, which is befitting of, of Milwaukee and Toronto, I feel like. So um, I think, I we'll think this has been a lot of... Yeah, exactly, exactly. We'll, we'll see if, uh, if, if there's a, you know, uh, like if, if Giannis kind of mows over another guy, Mike Dunleavy style, then we'll see if we're, if we're still feeling polite. Um, but uh, looking forward to the series. Playoff basketball back in Milwaukee. I guess it's old hat to you guys, Sean, but um, excited for the series, and hopefully we'll uh, be able to chat again uh, in the next week or so. Yeah, it's old hat, but also kind of new hat, considering where the Raptors have been. And I also fully expect Matthew Dellavedova to make me very angry at some point in this series. So. <laughs>
we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> yeah, look out, look out for Kyle Lowry's ankles. Del Delhi's coming for him. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Fall has arrived at JCPenney, the perfect time to refresh your home. From now until Sunday, get up to 50% off select comforter sets, furniture, and the most comfortable mattresses from top brands like Tempur-Pedic, Sealy, Beautyrest, and more. And save 50 to 60% on select sheet sets, plus an extra 15% with your coupon on select home items. Hurry and soon. That's getting your pennies worth. JCPenney. Coupon valid 928-109 on select home items, furniture, and mattresses. Prices valid 928-101. Selections vary by store while supplies last. Fitting on regular and original prices. Intermediate markdowns may have been taken. Some exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.